Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Good morning, happy people. Did someone think, that's blasphemy. I can't stop praying. I do have a full title. Give me a second here. Let's see. So how many have many different passwords? Ah. (laughs) Winner. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So today we are going to be talking in a minute about stop praying for God to save you from what he created you for. But foundationally, before we go to that, how many know that in all four of the Gospels, you see the account of Jesus being baptized in water? And that was not because Jesus needed to repent. He was sinless. It was really an announcement to the world that Jesus was the Messiah. And at that point in time, the assignment on John the Baptist's life ended. Because his mission, John the Baptist, his mission was to do what? To prepare the way. He prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah. And he preached a baptism of repentance. So when Jesus was baptized by John, and Jesus was announced as the Messiah publicly, at that point, John's mission ended. (laughs) And uh, he needed to go get a new assignment. And uh, uh, yeah, he laid down his life for what he believed in. But I want to point your attention right now to Romans chapter 6 in verses 3 and 4. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined with him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So in this verse, it talks about identifying with Christ in his death. When you go into the water, you go into the grave, okay? We identify with him uh, in his burial at the same time because you're under. And then we identify with him in our, his resurrection when we come up out of the water. So it's the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. And your identity as a Christ follower is secure at that, at that point. Now, Water baptism doesn't save you. Can everyone say that? Water baptism doesn't save you. It's Jesus' blood. But water baptism is a, can everyone say public? Act of obedience. Okay, it's a public act of obedience. And it's a declaration of your faith in Christ. So people are born into this world. And, and I'll say it this way. Theologically, we'll say, they're born innocent and alive before God with a propensity or a tendency towards sin. Okay, so babies are born alive. At some point in their journey, they have this, we'll call it understanding of right and wrong, and they choose wrong. And at that point, they need Jesus to be their savior because they are no longer alive before God because they've crossed over into sin 
and the full weight and penalty of sin is what's coming to them outside of the sacrifice of Christ. But see, we as humans, as we go through life, we come to the knowledge. The hope is that everyone will come to the knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus and that his blood paid your sin debt so you could be back in relationship with God. We doing okay? And then by faith, we acknowledge Jesus is our savior. We accept that his blood paid our sin debt. And then we repent and turn around from our sinful life and we start trying to take on the nature and character of Christ that he's put within us. And we start living that out and living a more righteous life directed by the spirit of God within us because of the new nature within us. So this is, this is Christianity. This is how you come into Christianity. You can't be born a Christian. Your parents can be Christians. They can raise you in a Christian home but you have to acknowledge Christ yourself. It doesn't translate from generation to generation that way. It's, it's a, we're all first generation Christians in a lot of ways. Because anyone that grew up in the church at some point, you had to come to the knowledge of faith yourself and acknowledge that Jesus was your savior and decide that you were gonna walk out this Christian life for yourself. You don't get in on your parents' coattails or your uncle's coattails or your grandpa who is the preacher's coattails. You only come to Christ by faith in the work that Jesus did for you individually. We doing okay? Now, water baptism is not a means of salvation. It's a public act of obedience and declaration of your faith in Christ, okay? And, and as a Christian though, baptism is a command. Jesus was baptized and he commands us even he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. He commands us to do baptism. Why? Because there's this leaving of the old life behind with the public declaration. Now, we see this in many arenas in our culture today. Okay, where people come out and they declare, I am this, and I am this, and I identify as this, and I identify as that. But for some reason, the world wants us to take our faith and stick it back in the closet. <laughs> but the truth is, water baptism is when you stand up and say, I am a Christ follower and I'm going to live for Christ and this is what I'm going to do. And you identify with Christ as a Christian. Stand up with me. Acts 2.38, Peter replied. So this is the day of Pentecost. There's people all over in Jerusalem that speak many languages. They're praying in tongues. They're, people are hearing their own language spoken. They're hearing the gospel message preached in their native language. And after Peter preaches this message, their conscience is awoken. <laughs> they're like, hey, wait a minute. They're pierced. They're feeling uh-oh, I've broken God's law. And he says, and they say, what are we supposed to do? And Peter answers and says, each of you must repent. See, it's individual. You must repent of your sin and turn to God. Then he says, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the spirit. So repentance and acknowledgement of Christ's work on the cross gets you saved. You get a new spirit, you get a new heart. God regenerates you, you're in the family. Okay, 
Baptism helps you in that process of leaving the shame and the pain and the guilt of your past behind. You bury it with Christ and you start walking forward a new life. And so many times I see Christians that are condemned in their conscience all the time for their past life because they've never accepted and been obedient to the command of Christ to be baptized and they've never laid the old life down. The best way I ever heard it explained was they keep that guy alive on life support. You need to unplug the flesh and let it die. Let it go. So here's my question today. You're standing here, 10.44 a.m., July 30th, 2023, here in Windsor, Ontario, at Windsor Christian Fellowship Church. Ask yourself two questions. One, am I a Christ follower? It's either yes or no. There's not a maybe. Okay. I think I might be. I'm trying real hard. You either follow Christ or you're not, right? First, foremost, foundationally. If you're not a Christ follower, Jesus loved you so much that even when you didn't know him, even when you weren't looking for him, even when you didn't even know that he was a God who loved you, he died on a cross for your sins so that you can know him and you can gain life eternal and you can have a more excellent way to live this life. First, if you're a Christ follower, if you answer that question, yes. Have you been obedient to the command of Christ and been baptized in water? It's yes or no. Now, if you were baptized as an infant or a baby, your parents did that in good, good faith to raise you in the faith, and I understand that, but repentance comes before baptism, and I don't think babies know how to repent. They can't even talk, unless you were one of those few kids that come out talking. So we repent, then we get baptized, and, and it's, again, it's an individual response in your own heart to get baptized in water. So what we do is about once a month, I've got Rick and Brian over here. I have a tank full of water in the back. Got to change your clothes. We can give you a robe. But if you've never been baptized in water as a Christ follower, as a professing adult who, who acknowledges that Christ is your savior and you want to follow him, that public identification with Christ is extremely important in your life. And we want to give you the opportunity to make that public declaration and come out of your chair now and come down to the front and we can get you baptized today. They'll even give you a little bit more of a class, but come on down. Is there anyone else that needs to be baptized today? Is there anyone else where you've answered the question, no, I haven't been baptized in water, and I'm a Christ follower, but I haven't been obedient. Then you need to be obedient. Come on, big people. Come on. Is God talking to anyone's heart today? You know he's talking to you. You're probably really nervous or probably feeling a little bit shifty. You're like, man, he needs to let us sit down and stop talking and go on with his message. I want to hear more about stop praying. <laughs> stop praying sounds fun. Is there anyone? Come on down. Come on down. Is there one more? God's talking to your heart today. And you know he's talking to you and you need to be down here. I don't want you to walk around the back because that's not a public declaration of your faith.
All right, guys. Go have a good baptism. You guys can be seated. Thank you. Congratulations to all of you. Go ahead. Oh, there's one more. Okay, sorry. Two more. So, a lot of you may or may not know, but uh, Tuesday mornings, we usually have like a staff chapel, and, and essentially, we put a scripture up on the screen, and we meditate on that for 15 or 20 minutes, and just kind of get a download from the Holy Spirit on what he's talking to us about that verse, and then we talk about it as a team, and, and as we were sharing, I don't know, six or eight weeks ago on this context today, this message was kind of really developed by our staff team. So I'm just kind of formalizing it into some sort of a presentation format, but most of the work was done by our staff at that time. And um, the revelation that they got on the passage that we were discussing is how we got this message for today. And, and the truth is, um, as we go through this, I'm hoping you're going to see it a little clearer, but there's lots of times that God is working in our life and he is bringing us through things to prep us, to form our character, to shape us, to mold us, to guide us, you know? And it's not even stuff that he always creates, but he brings us through it as he's working in us and through us. And what happens is a lot of times, because it gets to be hard sometimes, we say, God, make it stop. Because I never pray, God, to make it stop. Some of you are more honest than others. Some of you just don't pray, so there's your first issue. <laughs> you need to pray a little bit more. <laughs> so in Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Foundationally, and if you take that in line with Genesis 1, chapter 27, you are an image bearer. You were made in the image and the likeness of God, right? You were made in his image. You were made to carry the image and likeness of God here on planet Earth. He created you with purpose. He created you for mission. And there is an assignment on your life. Wow, that's a lot. What do you mean there's an assignment? There's an assignment on your life. God put you here for a reason. I tell people all the time. Some people don't believe me. If God didn't have an assignment on your life or a mission for you, the truth is as soon as you gave your life to him and repented, he would kill you and take you home to heaven before you mess it up. And when you complete everything that he's assigned you to do, there's only one thing left to do. Graduate and go to the next life. So don't be in such a hurry to complete the assignment and the mission. <laughs> that's on your life. <laughs> Run, go. I'm 42 and I'm done. Okay, see ya. <laughs> but I want to start with Jonah. Let's look at Jonah when we're talking about this. You know, God called Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites. How many know that? If you read the book of Jonah, you'll see God spoke to him and said, go and preach to Nineveh. Now, Jonah, being the smart prophet guy kind of that he was, um, he determined... If I go preach to the Ninevites and they repent, the God that I serve is merciful and he's not going to judge them and he wanted the Ninevites to die. Has anyone ever thought, 
if I pray for my enemies, maybe God will bless them. And that's not what I want to see happen. I want them to pay. (laughs) None of you ever pray like that, though. Oops. Okay. So Jonah did the really holy thing, and he ran away from the assignment of God. Literally, Nineveh was this way, and Jonah went that way. (laughs) And um, God showed Jonah mercy for his disobedience in the end. Jonah had to go through some stuff, didn't he? First, there was a storm on the ship when he was trying to run away from God. And then he said, throw me overboard. And the other guys are like, no, we'll keep praying. And then finally got to play. Okay, fine. (laughs) It's either us or you. Okay, bye. (laughs) He ends up in in a fish. I can imagine that... You know, there's, there's lots of speculation on that, you know, what happened with Jonah and was he in a sperm whale? I, was, I don't care what he was in. But whatever he was in, it's highly likely he talks about being in the despairs of death and calling out to God. It's almost like he died and God resurrected him and sent him back. Okay. It doesn't say. We don't know what happened in the belly of the fish. We just knew he was there for a bit. But I can imagine when he got spit out on the beach, the people who worship the sea god, and all of a sudden a fish spits out the messenger prophet, of course they're going to listen to what he has to say. Um, And there's a little bit more to that story, but the truth is God turned it around with Jonah and was able to get the message of hope to the Ninevites. But do you ever think about Joseph? I mean, he was a dreamer. He was his dad's favorite. He had this multicolored coat. And he also had no problem telling his brothers about how awesome he was and how they were all going to worship him. So he needed to have a little bit of character refinement. But first he's in a pit, then he gets sold into slavery, then he gets accused of rape when he didn't rape someone, and then he's in prison. And I mean, you're talking 20, 21 years of Joseph's life. It wasn't like five minutes... Do you think that somewhere along the way, Joseph prayed, God, are you ever going to save me from this? Do you think when he was in prison and he met with the baker and the butler and he interpreted their dreams and said, hey, remember me when you're on the outside, that he was thinking he was going to get delivered five minutes later, yet two years later? Do you think that Joseph ever prayed, God, please save me from this? But at the same time, God was working something out in Joseph's life, his character. He was training him. He was equipping him. He was preparing him so that in a moment in God's time, can everyone say in God's time? Joseph got promoted to right hand of the ruler of Egypt. The next thing you know, his very brothers who sold him into slavery are kneeling before him, begging him for food. And it was within his power to imprison them or even kill them to get them back, wasn't it? But what did he do instead? He blessed them. And he brought his family there to live through the famine. And the nation was preserved. But see, I think, what do I know? If they had showed up earlier in the process, before he got his heart to the place that it was and his character refined to where he was, that story might not have ended quite like it did. Or what about Esther? 
Thank you, Jesus, for making me the prettiest woman alive. But then she was married to the king. And then her very people were about to be exterminated by one of the king's men. And she risked her life. And she even says, if I die, I die. And she went in unannounced before the king, which was against protocol. Should have cost her her life. Of course, he extended the scepter and preserved it. But see, somewhere along the way, I'm sure she prayed, God, I really don't want to do this. I'm really uncomfortable here. This is really a struggle. I think we have to come to the place where we realize that challenges are always going to be opportunities. James chapter 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. It's an opportunity for joy. When trouble comes, it's an opportunity for joy. Now, how many of you invite trouble into your life and say, oh, look, there's trouble coming. It's going to be a time of joy. <laughs> for you know, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, a chance. You know why it's a chance? Because your response within you is going to determine whether your endurance and faith grows or does not grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. See, the end result of trials is maturity. What is the mission of equipping people supposed to end with? People who are secure in who they are in Christ, their identity, who are mature in their love walk with people and in their relationship with Christ so that they can go out into the world and accomplish the task that Jesus assigned us through the Great Commission to go and make disciples so we can repeat the process. So there was many challenges in the lives of Jonah Joseph, Esther, and I can list so many more. In fact, I'm going to in a few minutes. But, but see, some of the greatest growth times in my own life personally were also some of the most difficult times in my life. I learned the most about accountability when I didn't have any in my life. The hard way. See, I tell my kids this. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. You can learn from the mistakes that other people have made and it's less costly to you. But some people, they have to go and experience it themselves and learn the hard way. And the hard way is exactly that. It's a whole lot more hard and it's a whole lot more painful, isn't it? I learned about guiding my, guarding my eye gate and my ear gate. What do you mean by that? Um, a long time ago, before I met my beautiful wife, I was in Dallas. I was in my second year of schooling, and I was really struggling with my eyes. Now, I, I'm going to admit there was a lot of pretty girls in Dallas back then. Okay. But I was having a really hard time keeping my eyes and my thought life in check when the pretty girls were walking by. Some of you are going, yeah, that's me every day. And I was praying, and I said, Jesus, like, what is my problem? I'm a Bible school student. I don't usually struggle with this. What's my issue? 
And the Holy Spirit was very clear to me, this is your issue. I'm like, okay. He said, listen to the lyrics of the songs on the radio on your way into work tonight because I had stopped listening to exclusively music that edifies and builds me up, Christian music, and I started listening to some of the other music. And the first song was, I want to sex you up. And the second song was, you know, and the third song, and I was like, okay, point made. But as soon as I changed the information coming into my ears, it was amazing how quickly my thought life aligned. It wasn't my prayer life. It wasn't my Bible reading. It wasn't my knowledge. It was simply guarding my ears and my eyes. That's why Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes. I'm not going to look at anything unclean. But what are you listening to and what are you watching? These things affect us, right? It was a hard lesson. It was a costly lesson. It was a painful lesson in my life. There was struggle. It was a bit of a mindset switch, but you know what? Listening to appropriate music for Christ followers helps me to keep my thoughts and my eyes on more pure things. God is refining you. He's not punishing you. And depending on your theological background and history and your personal history and your family of origin, there's a lot of people that conclude that you're being punished when oftentimes he's just trying to refine you. Discipline and punishment are two different things. I talked about how God corrects us last week a little bit. But in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. Has anyone been going through a fiery trial? None. Oh, thank you. I see that hand. <laughs> One person going through a fiery trial. The rest of you, it's all rainbows and butterflies. I'm preaching to the wrong church. I must have missed it. Don't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you. Trials should not be a surprise or something strange to us as Christ followers. Instead, don't be surprised. Be very glad. Can everyone say very glad? Now, I know some of you are like, I am not very glad when I walk through trials. I didn't write it. Peter did. You can go talk to him when you get to heaven, assuming you can get there. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Christ suffered, we suffer. <laughs> Christ gets glorified. We see his glory fill the earth. When you walk through stuff, there's a refining happening. It's not punishment. He's not trying to punish you for what you did or what someone else did or what happened or what you thought about or what you did or didn't. There's a process going on inside of you where you're becoming more like him. Side note here. In verse 15, I'm going to paraphrase it, which is two verses past where I just read. If you suffer because you make bad choices and do dumb stuff, it's your own fault. But if you're suffering for the cause of Christ, it's a privilege. So if you're not killing people and gossiping and getting your nose in other people's business, if you're not stealing and cheating and ripping people off and manipulating things, and you're still suffering for the cause of Christ, it's a privilege. Count yourself worthy to be counted amongst those who suffer alongside him. 
So then it comes to stop praying for deliverance from the challenge, but strength to overcome. See, this is when you have to learn to ask yourself the right questions. Because often it's easier to say, God, make it stop. I don't want to do this anymore. But the truth is, perspective-wise, we want to start seeing things from God's perspective. We might want to say, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? Or what are you trying to reveal to me? Or what are you developing in my life right now so that I can get this? And the truth is, the sooner you get it, the sooner you stop going around and around and around in circles. But until you actually stop and say, okay, God, what are you trying to show me in this struggle right now? What are you trying to show me in this assault? What are you trying to show? What are you trying to work out in me? Do I need to trust you more? Do I need to love you more? Because so many times, do we really trust God when the rubber meets the road or we take things in our own hands and think we can solve it better? I'm just asking. We want to frame it from God's perspective. Teach me to trust and rely on you, Lord, more and more. Have you ever read Hebrews chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, where the author of Hebrews is contrasting the new and the old covenant? In there, somewhere around chapter 9 at the end, there's this statement about Jesus once and for all paid the price for our sins. Jesus paid the price for our sins. God's not punished. Jesus was punished for your sin. You got to get that. But then chapter 11 actually gives us an example of people who struggled and had difficulty in life. They had to walk through some stuff. And it goes through your people, many of them. Rahab and Abraham and Moses, like many of them, right? But I want to I wanna get to 11.33. It says, by faith, and that was like your Samson and your Jephthah and that, like that group. These people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, Daniel, quenched the flames of fire, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Escaped death by the edge of the sword, many of them. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Think Gideon, okay? Women received their loved one back again from the death. And then it makes this crazy statement because it's talking about how some of these champions, they walked through hardship and they came through the other side victorious. But there was these others that were tortured refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. I think that was, was it Isaiah or Jeremiah? Isaiah. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these people, all of them that walked through struggle is the point of this, earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. That tells me that God has made many promises to his people. And in this life, are you willing to walk through stuff even if you don't receive all the promises that he's given you until you get there? 
God had something better in mind for us so they would not reach perfection without us. See, they were paving the way in faith for us. I heard it said years ago, is the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. Can't remember who said that now. Too tired. More coffee. But the truth is they paved the way for people in the future to have a better relationship, better knowledge, better freedom. But I want to get to this in Luke 22 before I start closing this down. I'm going to read verse 41 and 42. Jesus in Gethsemane Garden, he walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. I want you to listen to Jesus' prayer. Now Jesus, think about this, He read the scriptures, he saw the prophecies, he figured out who he was, Messiah. He also figured out how he was going to die on a cross. He knew this. Crucifixion's a very painful death, maybe one of the more painful ways to go. He saw this coming in his earth suit and he prays, but I want you to listen to how he prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. If I was about to be crucified, I might say something like, Father, if there's another way, show it to me right now. But nevertheless, he was fully surrendered to the will of the Father, even if it meant being crucified even if it meant being the sacrifice for the sin of mankind, even if it meant for the first time in all of history that Christ and his father were going to be separated because of the sin that was poured out upon him and the judgment. Jesus' heart was fully surrendered to the father. So if you're praying, God, please make it stop, you might want to include a line in there, something to the effect of... um, if you're willing, God. But otherwise, give me the strength to overcome. Give me the courage to continue standing firm on what I know is true. Didn't we sing about a firm foundation? If your feet are on the rock, you don't got to worry. You're on the rock. And if you end up subduing a kingdom, or if you end up having your back ripped open by a whip or getting sawed in half like one of the prophets did, what does it matter? This life is temporary anyway. By faith, we overcome. And, and Jesus overcame, John 16, 33. I've told you all this so you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Has anyone had many trials and sorrows? Some of you think I've had more than my fair share. I took someone else's trial. You may have. But it's going to happen while you're here on earth. There's going to be trials. There's going to be sorrows. But Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. This life is not the end. This world is not the final answer. This is just the temporary part of our journey. And Jesus overcame, so it doesn't matter what you're facing, what you're walking through, what you're experiencing, what your reality looks like, no matter how much grief, no matter how much struggle, no matter how much sorrow, it doesn't matter. Jesus overcame, and with him, you will overcome too if you stand firm on what you believe. Here's a struggle. They're banning these uh, single-use plastics around 
here in case some of you didn't know that. You knew that, right? That's why when you go, they don't give you a plastic fork anymore. They give you a little bamboo one that falls apart the first time you stab something. <laughs> and they don't give you a plastic straw anymore. They give you a dissolvable straw that dissolves in your drink. Do you like a straw? No, thanks. So the company that makes the single-use disposable plastic communion elements is working on a new recipe, but they haven't perfected it yet. So we're having a really hard time sourcing these things right now because we keep running out of them, which is a good problem to have. However, um, we don't have enough communion elements because they're not available. And we've sourced them in multiple places and they're all out of stock because they're all working on these. It's just taken them longer to develop the biodegradable version, but they said in the next month or so they're going to get that resolved. So hopefully we'll get them. But stand up with me anyway. All that to explain to you, I can't do communion again. <laughs> Frustrating. It's a struggle, God. But what are you trying to teach me through this? <laughs> Second Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. I think I had this verse in another message recently. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in weaknesses and insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, I thank you today for the people here listening. Lord, some came in discouraged today. Some came in excited to hear your word. People are all over the spectrum from depressed to joyful, exuberant. But together as a body, as a family of believers, we were able to lift up holy hands and worship you and sing, entering your gates with thanksgiving and praise. Lord, we, we, we enter into even your courts where, Lord, we can have a conversation with you. And Lord, as your word has gone forth today into our hearts, let it take let it, let it go down deep into our hearts and produce good fruit. Help us to trust you more. Help us to rely on you more. Help us to love more. Help us to know you more. Even when it's hard. Even when it's not easy. Even when things look like they're not rolling our way. Whether our job is challenging or challenged or whether we're looking for work or whether we have too much work and we can't keep up, whether our relationships are going how we want them to or not how we want them to, we look to you today. In the struggle, in the hardship, show yourself strong in our life and help us to trust you, to rely on you, to look to you, Lord, for strength, for courage, for wisdom in every circumstance, in every situation. Because you overcame the world with you, we also can overcome this world that we live in. So Father, I thank you that as a family of believers that you will be glorified in and through us, that you, Jesus, will be high and lifted up, and that you're going to accomplish your purposes in our lives. So show us the path and show us the way. Help us to align our lives with your purposes. And Lord, for those that are in the struggle with sin, 
They're not guarding their ear gate, their eye gate. They're not receiving correction and wisdom from, from your word or from others. I thank you, Lord, that you're working in the hard hearts to help them to soften to the truth from your word even today. And Father, as I'm praying, I thank you that those that are sick, those that are struggling with illness, you went to the cross to heal us, mind, body, and spirit. So I thank you that your restoring power is flowing through each of us today and that we can go energized and empowered knowing that in our weakness you show yourself strong every single day. In Jesus' name. package deal we got today and all we have to do is take it home and make it work and uh, it kind of reminds me of a story of uh, about forgetting our sins uh, there was a woman that had a cat and she just loved that cat I mean she just that cat was everything to her and it up and died and uh, so she went out and buried it and she left the tail up because Every day she'd go out and pull the cat up and, and look at it. But finally it got to stinking so bad that she put the tail down and, and dug the hole a little deeper and buried it. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how our sin is. We just need to let it go behind because Jesus paid the price for it. And uh, he died for our sins so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. So if, you, if, you, if you're dragging that garbage around... Uh, bury it and um, hallelujah. hallelujah again Pastor RJ thank you for that wonderful yeah. package that you give to us that we can go home and and mull it over, chew it and meditate on it and make our lives better Amen. Amen well we'd like to close with a couple of scriptures from all from Psalms 119 because you have satisfied me, God, I promise to do everything you say. I beg you from the bottom of my heart, smile. Be gracious to me just as you promised. When I took a long, careful look at your ways, I got my feet back on the trail you blazed. I was up at once, didn't drag my feet, was quick to follow your orders. The wicked hemmed me in. There was no way out, but not for a minute did I forget your plan for me. I get up in the middle of the night to thank you. Your decisions are so right, so true. I can't wait till morning. I'm a friend and companion of all who fear you, of those committed to living by your rules. Your love, God, fills the earth. Train me to live by your counsel. And another scripture, and the rest of the scripture in Psalms 119, 1 through 8. You're blessed when you stay on course, walking steadily on the road, on the road revealed by God. You're blessed when you follow his directions, doing the best to find him. That's right. You don't go off on your own. You walk straight along the road he said, you, God, prescribe the right way to live. Now, you expect us to live it. Hallelujah. 
Windsor Christian Fellowship. We could call you Windsorites because you do everything that's right. <laughs> right? <laughs> Windsor Christian Fellowship. You, you have, have been, been equipped. equipped. Go.